Thank you for that, um, Lindsay, and um, yeah, for all of you. This is uh, obviously a surreal, a surreal morning, and um, I've been I've been thinking about it a lot over the course of the last few months. And how do you really plan for a morning like this? And so I have words here that I hope to say, but I don't know what I'm going to say. <laughs> so at times I may read just so that I don't completely lose my mind and and lose it entirely. So. Um, thank you for being here. It's, it really is a, um, it's incredible to see all of your faces and, and to just be reminded of, of what God has done over the course of the last eight years, almost nine years. Um, yesterday afternoon, I found myself scrolling through old photos and videos from the Finding Life Facebook page and, and on my computer from the early years and the early days. Um, I even went back and like started reading some of my old sermons and just was kind of like reminiscing about the years that I've had here at Finding Life, and, and I learned a couple of things. <laughs> One, um, those of you who have been with us for a while have put up with some really bad sermons, like, <laughs> like really, really bad. <laughs> but seriously, thank you for letting me grow up in this role. Thanks for hanging in there with me as I found my voice and figured out who God wanted me to be. Um, secondly, I've, I have spent the last eight years um, punching you all in the face from up here at times. Um, like, seriously, I mean that. As I was reading my old sermons, not only did I realize how bad I was when I first started, but how confrontational I have been throughout the years. Um, You've been willing every Sunday to come into this place and receive hard truth. And and it's always been a thing in finding life. We don't, like, avoid the hard conversations. And we believe that, that life with Jesus is supposed to be a lifestyle. And so God's word punches us in the face, and, and I've sort of been that messenger at times, and, and as I was scrolling back through, I was like, man, did I ever give them a break? Um, so thank you. Thank you for being willing to ask the hard questions. Uh, thirdly, the faces of the Finding Life community have changed a lot through the years, but the heart, culture, and mentality towards people has never, ever changed. I love I love that. I love what has come to define this community. If someone came in here today and just did a poll, a survey of uh, of everybody in this room, I'm convinced that like at least nine out of 10 people, you'd hear something like this. The people are welcoming and gracious. You're accepted the way that you are. Everyone is so willing to be authentic. And I've heard that through the years. Why do you love finding life? Why are you here? The people are real. And we use that phrase, real is better than perfect, and it's become something that's not a catchphrase. And if you are a person who's experienced the freedom of actually choosing to define yourself that way, to live your life that way, then you know how great it is to have people around you doing the same. I love that about this church community. Um, And lastly, um, I'm really, really, really going to miss this. I want you to know how much I love you all. I wish there was a way for me to communicate how I feel about this community, about you. Um, and so I just want to start by praying because I, before I just start crying already, let me just pray as we dive in this morning. God, um, thank you for what these faces represent. And I know that, um, I, I know that each one of them represents something, some other aspect of this, this faith community. And, and without each person in this room, we wouldn't be who we are today. And Lord, I pray for, I pray that today is, is a catalytic day for Finding Life Church, that this isn't the end of something. No, in fact, it's the beginning of something. Um, You aren't done here with this church. You aren't done with this this small community of believers. And when I look and think and pray and consider, I, I realize that this community has some things, 
some DNA level things that make them more positioned for the kind of impact that you gave your son to die for than any community I've ever seen before. And that's what I pray for this community. That's what I pray happens in the coming days and weeks and months, is that you would expand our tent stakes, that you would blow this thing up, not for our glory but for yours, so that this community could be turned upside down for the sake of your name and so that people might find life in you and hope in you. And be with us this morning as we do celebrate a transition um, and consider what's next. Consider what the future looks like and consider our, consider our own hearts in relation to all of that stuff. In Jesus, your name we pray, amen. I want to tell you about Jenny. Um, Jenny is a nurse, more specifically, Jenny is a pediatric intensive care unit nurse that I met a couple weeks ago over the phone. For those of you who don't know, that is my new life. I started a new job with a company called Atlas MedStaff. My job is to recruit and staff nurses. So I spend my days calling um, nurses who have called in or emailed in or filled out an application for more information about what it means to be a traveling nurse. Traveling nurses sign 13-week contracts to go be a nurse in some place they've never been before, um, at least 200 miles away from their house. Um, it's a lonely job. It's a hard job. They tend to get like the bottom of the barrel kinds of assignments. Um, so oftentimes I've learned over the last four weeks that there comes a level of entitlement with, with traveling nurses. Um, I've had a blast interacting with and, and helping and, uh, and walking through the process with people who are in this transitionary stage of life, jumping into something that they, that's kind of scary and kind of new for a lot of them. Back to Jenny. Jenny is great. In the few short weeks I've known her, I've had many pleasant interactions with her. There's one thing I've said to Jenny more times than anything else. Hey, Jenny, what matters most to you? The first phone call I had with Jenny, and I have had ever since, and every nurse that I've talked to, I've asked the exact same question. What do you care about most? What is the most important thing to you? Some say location, others say money. Others say hospital or specialty. There are plenty of good things to make your highest priority if you're a traveling nurse. There's no right. And there's no wrong, but clearly defining your priorities, clearly defining your priorities or, pur is our, is, or purpose is what we're going to talk about today. Knowing what matters most is essential to ensuring you get the results that you want out of your search, out of your life. The first call I had with Jenny, she said to me, the most important thing to me is that I find a job within 200 miles of my hometown. She wanted to do some commuting because she had some family she wanted to be close to. She said, the only thing I care about is finding a job close by. Since then, I've offered Jenny 10 different jobs that all fit that description perfectly, and she's turned down every single one of them for different reasons. It just doesn't pay enough. That hospital has terrible reviews. The city that facility is in has terrible traffic. I heard that nurse... I heard that, nur that nurses don't feel safe in that hospital. Guess what? Jenny still doesn't have a job. But why? What happened? Why is Jenny so frustrated? Simple. Jenny has a lack of clarity on what, on what truly matters to her most in life. Jenny's a great nurse with fantastic resume. Her references are spot on. Her experience is perfect. Jenny is losing out on opportunities because Jenny isn't clear on what matters most. Hear this. A person or community that is unclear about what matters most will always find themselves struggling to make decisions, allocate resources, and choose their investments. Why? 
because there are so many good things to do, to, to, to care about, to give your life for. We need to know beyond a shadow of a doubt what the most important thing is, or we will find ourselves questioning every decision we make and ultimately end up living a life of minimal impact. Confusion about what matters most in our journey with Jesus will, will keep us from ever experiencing what he longs for us to experience. Jesus has something for us, for you as an individual, for us as a community. And so often we get bogged down by, by a lack of clarity on what matters most. And this morning, um, and really for the last eight years, I have strived to make this impeccably clear, and I'm just going to hit you with it one more time. Because my prayer for you is that you don't have to have the kind of confusion that Jenny had. You don't have to, to struggle and wonder how we make decisions, why we care about the things that we care about, because one thing defines everything. It's bigger than everything else. I want to show you one more picture of what it looks like when there's a lack of clarity about what matters most, and it comes from Mark chapter 10, 17 to 22. You may know the story as the story of the rich young ruler. Starting in verse 17, as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, I've kept all these things from my youth. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, there's one thing you lack. Go and sell all your possessions and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But at these words, he was saddened, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. Here's this guy. He comes to Jesus, and, and he's excited about, about putting all of his eggs in this one basket. I want, I, want, I want to be right with God. I want eternal life. And he's kind of spent his whole life like living that way, or so he thought. And Jesus creates this, this mess in his own heart because he looks into his heart, and he says, yeah, but here's the thing. You what matters most to you is not me. It's not my kingdom. It's something else. And he hits him right between the eyes with this, this problem. He says, okay. Okay. You want eternal life? Sell everything and come follow me. And in that moment, he called him out, recognizing your priorities aren't straight. You don't know what matters most. Something else matters more. And even though you're coming to me saying, this is what I want, this is what I want more than anything, I can see in your heart that it's in fact not. And he walked away sad. He walked away confused, perplexed probably. What do I do now? A personal crisis in his life because he didn't know. And I long for finding life to never have to wonder, to never have to argue, to never have to worry, be frustrated, be confused because you have so much clarity about what matters most. And that's the way I want to leave you this morning. So I ask the question, what matters most? I'm not, I'm not asking for a list of things that matter, nor am I going to say that the things other than what I'm pinpointing as what matters most aren't important, because they are. What I want to give you today as a parting gift is as much clarity as I possibly can. Do you want your life to have purpose, ultimate purpose? Do you want your life to be leveraged for what matters most in the grand scheme of things, or are you content with your life being all about you, your comfort, your security? Do you want to see this church have explosive, catalytic, life-changing, even world-changing impact, or will you be content to settle for programs, church services, and comfortable Christianity that the world looks at and snickers under their breath? 
We want to be real? Do we want to have an impact? What is it that we want? That's what I want to talk about this morning, and, and I want to talk about it in the vein of one of our core values. It's the core value of focus. We have seven core values, and it's the fifth one to be exact. The tagline is simple, and it's our truth of the day. What matters most is people finding Jesus. That's how I want to leave you today. That's where I want to land the plane of my time in ministry here at Finding Life Church. Um, if you, <laughs> you don't have an outline because I forgot to print them this morning. So you didn't get a worship flyer like Jasmine talked about, and that's my fault. Um, so you can't follow along with any things, so just maybe just focus and, and listen and, and consider these thoughts. There's three things that I want to share with you um, briefly, and I'm going to move relatively quickly, um, so hold on. Number one, we need to know what matters most. We need to know, know what matters most. Do you? Do you know what matters most? If you don't know what you... If you don't know, you won't be able to live for it. Life isn't easy. Life isn't perfect. Life isn't always fun. But there's a heck of a lot of power in clarity, in knowing. Have you ever felt unclear about what someone wanted from you? Ever wondered, how'd that make you feel? Um, I went through four days of training for my new job, which isn't very much if you've ever started a new job and started training. And, and in the process of interviewing for this job, you know, it's like a sales-type job. And they were, they were looking for somebody who was, like, driven who could sell hard and sell fast and, and put their head down and be a self-starter. So I get out of four days of training, and I just hit the phones. And I called every, like, I made, like, 300 phone calls or text messages in about 36 hours. And I scared everybody in the building. <laughs> they were like, oh, whoa, whoa, slow down. And I said to my boss, I said, I thought this is exactly what you wanted from me. Clarity. It's powerful. When we know what we're supposed to do, we can live it. Or at least we can make the choice to live it or not. I spent eight hours the very next day sitting at my desk going, what am I supposed to do? I feel like they're upset with me for doing my job. I feel like I got in trouble for doing exactly what I got hired to do. Clarity is incredibly powerful. We have to know it in order to live it. Here's the good news. You don't have to feel unclear about what Jesus wants from you. You don't. You may think you do, but guess what? Jesus wants it to be impeccably clear and simple. And I think at times we make it so complicated that we confuse ourselves and we confuse everybody else around us. And we're going to turn to um, the, uh, the book of Luke. It's one of my favorite, favorite passages in the entire Bible. It's Luke 15. We've been here before. This is not the first time that I've talked about this, but this is where I want to be this morning. Um, it's an incredible story. There's actually three stories. Um, Jesus is coming to people, and he's telling three stories to communicate his heart. There's three of them. The first one, the first story, is a powerful one, and I'll get to that in just a minute. The second story is about a lost coin, about a woman who loses a coin, and Jesus says, if you lose a coin, wouldn't you like get on the ground and search for it and light a candle until you found it, and then you find it and you rejoice over it? Lost coin. The third story is about a lost son. You know it as the prodigal son. The story of the prodigal son. And it's a story about a kid who, who takes his inheritance and, and takes off. He says, Dad, I'm tired of working for you. I want my inheritance. I'm leaving. And he leaves and he squanders it. And he, he ultimately loses everything in his life. He comes, comes crawling back to his dad, hoping he'll let him be a slave or a servant. And his dad sees him on, on the path. And he runs to him. And he throws his arm around him. And, and he celebrates because this lost son has been found. 
Both of these stories are, are interesting stories, but I think there's some things lost in translation about Jesus' heart. Okay? The story of the prodigal son, we, we sort of get lost in, in the language of the father, son, the, the, the reconciliation, how cool it is, and grace, and all of this, which is all true. This is all part of what God is doing here, but it's actually not exactly what Jesus is trying to communicate here. The story of the lost coin is sort of like, well, it's a coin. You know, We throw coins, we walk by coins on the street all the time. So there's something lost for us there. But this first story in, in, in Luke chapter 15 is about a lost sheep. And I think it's the perfect the perfect one for us to understand what Jesus is actually after here in this passage. And I want you to hear it, starting in verse 15, Luke chapter 15, sorry, verse 1. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to him to listen to him. This is Jesus. But the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man, Jesus, receives sinners and eats with them. I love that. I love that so much. I'm going to come back to verse 15 in just a minute because it's powerful. But going on to verse 3. So he, or sorry, verse 1. So he told them this parable saying, he's going to tell these stories, right? Three of them. Um, I got to stop for a minute because the rest of Luke 15 is Jesus responding to the Pharisees and the misconceptions they have about the heart of God. Know this, okay? The Bible exists to show you the heart of God. Jesus came to show us the heart of God. He wants us to know him. He doesn't want to be cloudy. He doesn't want to be confusing. He wants us to know his heart. So Jesus is going to communicate his heart through these three stories. The Pharisees believed being good, keeping the law, and never making mistake was the key to the heart of God. And Jesus is going to clarify for them and all the other onlookers what is actually the heart of God and the purpose for his hanging out with sinners and eating with them. Here it is. Verse 4. What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? When he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more, re- more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 religious people who need no repentance. Friends, this is the heart of God on display. This is what this passage is about. This is what Luke 15 is trying to say. Jesus is saying, hey, you need clarity here, okay? You need that question, why does this guy eat with sinners and tax collectors? You need some clarity about the heart of God because you are missing it. And he's staring these religious guys in the face and saying, listen, you want to know the heart of God? I'm going to tell you right now. You're going to hear it right now. I came for those who are lost. Guess who matters most to me in this world? It's those who are far from me. It's those who are not tasting, experiencing the power of life and faith and love who don't know what God's grace is like, who are living like, like hopeless and helpless without God in the world, trying to navigate the, the mess of this life, feeling guilty for their brokenness and their sin, wondering if anybody sees value in them. And Jesus is saying right here, that's who I came for. That's who matters to me. Nobody else. Not nobody else. But he's, he's drawing this massive, massive, uh, like, hyperbolic comparison. Like they're up here. 
and, and everybody else is down here. It's that simple. What matters most is people finding life and faith and hope in Jesus Christ. Because in him there's life and there's no life anywhere else. And see, he knows that and his heart breaks. This isn't like a a patronizing thing. This is a looking into his own creation, peering into the eyes of of, of the human beings that he created who are far from him, who aren't living the life that he that he created them for, designed them for, and his heart is broken to their to his very core. This is the heart of God. He's not having pity on them. He's not he's not judging them. He's saying, "I love them. In fact, I love them more than anything else in this world, and that's why I came to die." So that they could have real life. Friends, what matters most is people finding Jesus. And nothing else matters more. Jesus, plainly, clearly, pulls out all the stops for the, for the purpose of communicating what matters most to him. Most. And we've got to come to terms with that reality. And if we want to be people who are following Jesus, our hearts need to echo that. And then our lives need to come right behind. Which is number two. We've got to know what matters most. But that's kind of useless until we are actually living, living for what matters most. Once we know what matters, the job in front of us is to live it. Can I just say on a side note, when you choose to live for what matters most, all the other things in this life that also matter, but not as much as this, they get better. They get better. If you're sitting there going, but there's all these things that matter to me. You know, I'm a father, I'm a a mother, I have kids, I, I, I have a family, I have a job. These things have to matter. I'm saying, yeah, they do. God wants you to enjoy those things. He gave them to you. So you could glorify him through them. They're not the enemy. And guess what? When you get what matters most right, everything in your everything else in your life is so much better. So much better. Choose to live for what actually matters most and everything else gets better. The value focus where the phrase what matters most is people finding Jesus comes from actually morphed from a Riverview Community Church value. If you don't know the history of finding life, we were planted here out of a church in Ashland called Riverview um, that was really fun to be part of. And eight years ago, nine years ago, my wife and I left Ashland and we moved here to start Finding Life Church. And one of their core values was the value of simplicity. And the point of that value was exactly this. What matters most is people finding Jesus, and we need to carve out space in our life to make sure that we are actually making that what matters most. Um, the value focus came out of that, but, but here's why. We, we went from simplicity to focus, because life isn't actually simple, I discovered. I have three kids. I know it's not simple. You try to get three different kids to three different schools all within a half-an-hour window in West Omaha where there's like cars lining the streets for days and days on end. That is not simple. Life is simply not simple. No, the value of focus doesn't require we simplify our lives. I looked at so many people in the face, and they said, life isn't that simple. I get it, but it's not that simple. And here's my point, okay? The value of focus doesn't require a simple life. It requires we make the intentional choice to leverage every resource every thought, every waking moment for what matters most. It means choosing what God cares about when you feel like caring about you, when life is hard, long, tiring, and overwhelming. This is the call of Jesus on our lives. This is what it means 
to follow him. Let me show what that looks like a little bit. Leveraging your life resources and time and energy means viewing yourself, your life, and your time here differently. It means choosing to walk out the door every day and say to yourself, I exist to help other people see the heart of Jesus in me, through me, with my words, with my actions, with my choices, even with the the facial expressions on my face, with the way that I look at people and smile and show them value because they are what matters most to our king, our creator. I get to be Jesus in the world. I get to look people in the eyes and tell them they are valuable. I get to listen to people's stories and show them that they matter. I get to cut out my way. I I get to go out of my way to serve the one who is least deserving. I get to sacrifice my rest, relaxation, hard-earned money to see others experience the love of Christ. And I will go to any end, any length to see that happen. That's what it means to live for what matters most. This is the call of a Jesus follower. This is the life that Jesus lived everywhere he went. Everywhere he went. We live in a world full of people who call themselves Christians, which just means follower of Christ. And very few people actually look like Jesus. My challenge to us, to this community, is that we choose to align those two things. What if we actually did start living, looking, sounding, acting like Jesus? I've said this a lot. The church's reputation would be a little bit different. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is trying to talk to his disciples He's trying to talk his disciples into believing that the kingdom is worth giving their lives for. And he says it like this, Matthew 13, 45, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. It's not enough to know what matters most. The next step is to give our lives to see it happen. To give our lives to see people experiencing the power of God in their lives, the transformational work of the Holy Spirit. Imagine a world where people identify themselves far and wide by their image, by the image of the creator in them. Everyone's got it. Finally, we we need to know what matters most. We need to live what matters most. And ultimately, we have to remind ourselves daily what matters most. Nothing that I'm saying here comes natural, right? I've said that a million times also. None of this does. Not even close. Living for others doesn't come natural. This is why we have to remind ourselves of it every day, even multiple times a day, because quickly, before we even know it, something has our distraction. Something has, something has our, our attention. Something's getting us down. And our natural response is selfishness. So much of the New Testament is just a reminder about what matters most. Why? Because we're so naturally prone to forget. So as we close this morning, I would like this to be my reminder to you. And this is my letter to Finding Life Church on my final day. Dear friends, I want to begin by thanking you. Thank you for the hours of time you have given to make Finding Life what it is. Thank you for the thousands of hard-earned dollars you have given to see us established. Thank you for hanging in there through growing pains of a budding community. Um, Thank you for being willing to hear and respond to hard truth. Thank you for being the only church in this community that I want to send my friends who are far from God to. Thank you for the ways you have allowed the grace of God to define your view of the world. Thank you. 
as I wrap up my time here as your pastor today, I want to finish by telling you what I see when I look at all of you. When I look at all of you, I see people. I see broken people, and I see redeemed people. I see the image of the creator in each and every one of you. I see the value uniquely woven into your life as you were carefully formed by him. I see your stories of hurt, pain, right along with your stories of redemption and healing, and there's been a lot of both. I see, collectively, I see a sleeping giant. I see all the foundational elements necessary for a community of believers to reflect the true heart of Jesus for his church. I see a group of people poised for impact because they have clarity about what matters most. I see a group of people who don't need to get bogged down by self-serving mentality that asks the question, what's in it for me, but instead wakes up every morning asking, how can I give? How can I serve? How can I love better? I see a group of people ready, if willing, to become the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. But you know what else I see? I see busy people. I see confused people. I see scared people. I see selfish people. I see people who are settling for less than what God designed them for. I see people who know what they have been called to and struggle daily to choose it, to claim it, to live in its power. The result is I see people who are currently undercutting the power of the Spirit in their lives, living a shadow of the life God intended. What he longs to see in each and every one of you. The truth of the matter is I see all those same things when I look in the mirror. So often you and I let the opinions of others, the values of of our culture, and our own human limitations shut off the power of God in our lives. We live for what is seen instead of what is unseen. We live for the opinions of man instead of the approval of the Father, which, by the way, is completely secure in the work of Jesus. It wasn't earned to begin with. It can't be taken away. Instead of living powerful, freeing, hope-giving lives, we settle for living comfortable, powerless, self-serving lives. Friends, I long for more for you, for us, for Finding Life Church. Here is the key. Remember who you are. Colossians 3, 2 through 4. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in his glory. Remember who you are. And then remember why you are here, Matthew 13, 5, 13 through 15. You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it loses its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Now you are the light of the world, like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. Remember why you're here. Remember who you are. And ultimately, remember what God is up to in the world. Isaiah 43, 19. For I am about to do something new. I've already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. In John 10, 10. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I came that you might have life. Satisfying life. Friends, if you remember these things, remind yourselves daily of their impact on your life and heart. You can never go wrong. 
You can never be disappointed. You can never get off track. You'll never be found outside of the channel of God's blessing. Know this today and for the rest of your time as a community. I love you. I believe in you. And I'm in it with you. Every step of the way, your friend and co-laborer, Jake. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for who you are in our lives. Um, thank you for the way that you love us. Um, the way that you're patient with us. The unique ways that you find value in us because you formed us. Because you know us and you've called us. Lord, I pray for this community in these moments, in the silence of this moment. I pray for this community that you would, that you would make today a catalyzing day. Knowing that you aren't done. Knowing that this is not all there is. That God, you would bring life. More life. More hope more joy. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.